In today's digital world, cyber risk is government risk. And while digital transformation catalyzes growth, new assets in cloud, IoT, DevOps, and mobile apps create enormous complexity. They require us to rethink how we assess risk. Thankfully, the next era of cybersecurity has arrived. We call it cyber exposure, and it transforms security from a static, fragmented view to live, holistic visibility across every asset. For more information, visit Tenable.com, T-E-N-A-B-L-E.com. Welcome to today's discussion, Cyber Challenges in Defense and Evolving Mission, sponsored by Tenable Public Sector. Here is your host, Scott Mossioni. Welcome to the discussion on Cyber Challenges in Defense and Evolving Mission, sponsored by Tenable Public Sector on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Chris Cleary, Director of Business Development and Federal Cyber Strategy for Tenable Public Sector. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. And Chris, the topic of cyber and defense couldn't really come at a better time. We're talking about attacks from North Korea, about possible attacks on our uh, our election system, and uh, the Defense Department's relying a lot on the public or the private sector to lead the way for defending networks. So let's get a little deeper into the, the threat landscape. What does Tenable see as some of the key challenges for facing federal government and um, really the, the nation as a whole. Yeah, so uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, that's an interesting question. So the Department of Defense, um, as they continue to try and position themselves, what they're, what they're realizing is that the adversary, whether it be a criminal, whether it be a nation state, uh, is really getting better at what they do. Um, and as our attack surface continues to increase the additional addition devices, mobile devices, industrial control systems, um, operational technology, uh, there's more and more ways that the bad guy can bring effects to the way that we do business, um, either as a military or uh, as infrastructure supporting the military. Um, uh, Tenable, we position ourselves as trying to help those guys uh, understand their, their exposure to those threats, uh, especially as the attack surface is increasing. The, as more and more devices come online, uh, there's more and more things that the adversaries can do to those. And you know, when it comes to the way that the adversary w would try to engage us, right? So, so certain guys go after money. Certain guys are going to go after your ability to, to degrade what it is, whatever it is you do as a business or an organization, to degrade your ability to do that. Um, so the Department of Defense, you know, at the end of the day, their, their mission at the end of the day is to be able to, you know, support and defend the United States. And certain adversaries look at critical dependencies that, that we as a military have on uh, other organizations or other critical infrastructures. Um, and again, it's the ability to engage things that nece that weren't necessarily in the past considered as attack services, but let's say in the last decade or so have really come to the surface. Um, critical infrastructure being a classic example of that, you know, and, and, and the government's dependency on, uh, you know, commercial companies for the most part that provide those capabilities to the government, that's kind of becoming the weak underbelly that uh, we're trying to figure out how to do a better job in protecting. And that attack surface, I mean, that goes with Internet of Things, too. We're seeing the... Oh, God, the, yes. Right? So, yeah. I mean, it's not just enterprise systems that are getting attacked. What what else are getting attacked on that? Yeah. So, again, we, we've moved away from this concept of the of information technology. Right. You know, servers, switchers, routers, websites being the being the aim point of the adversary. And now we're moving into, just like you said, that, that greater attack surface, um, operational technology, just things that... Uh, you know, we've seen already the explosion of it, uh, the Nest thermostats, um, the toasters that are talking to your microwave, that is talking to your refrigerator, that is talking back to your power company. Um, all of those things we're, we're seeing can be affected. 
Now, one of the unique things that Tenable brings to the, brings to the table is our ability to quickly deliver what we call plugins, or as the industry identifies new vulnerabilities, um, we have the ability to push out those plugins through our sensors very, very quickly. Um, and as a matter of fact, as we talk about one of the largest things that we do for the federal government uh, is a program called ACAS, or the Assured Compliance and Assessment Solution. Um, you know, we're contractually obligated through that program to make sure that vulnerabilities, when they're discovered, are put into our feeds very, very quickly. Um, and over the period of the last seven years, we've gotten very, very good at that. Uh, can you tell us a little more about ACAS, what its kind of mission is? And and um, it's going through DISA, the, the Defense Information Systems Agency. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, correct. So, uh, so currently, the ACAS, or the Assured Compliance and Assessment Solution, is the way that the government, the, the Department of Defense, and a very large c- component of the intelligence community, does uh, vulnerability, and man- vulnerability management and compliance, again, across that entire ecosystem. Tenable, in, back in 2012, was selected as a technology, and we're currently deployed in about 9,000 locations across the, the federal government. Um, just to put that sort of in perspective, it represents almost a, twice the size of our commercial deployment for a similar product deployed across our, in our commercial environment. So it's a massive deployment, and it's one of the fundamental programs that the Department of Defense and the intelligence community rely on to ensure that the vulnerabilities to their systems are identified and you know, ultimately remediated. Now, now, this reminds me of something that happened recently in the Defense Department, which is the soldiers and troops were wearing uh, gear, the exercise gear, that was, was kind of giving away their positioning. You know, is that something that Tenable might be able to, to help out with, or is that something that um, you, you keep your eye on at least? Well, so, yeah, that goes down an interesting path when you're talking about maybe the, the, the Internet of Things or operational right. technology. So all of those devices, if they're, if they're at all um, IP-based or, you know, attached back to networks in some way, shape, or form, um, those then themselves become attack surfaces. Uh, you know, as those devices are identified and the vulnerabilities on them are discovered, those go into our feeds, to which point we can conduct scans that look for those vulnerabilities and, again, can be remediated by the end user. Right. The reason I ask is because, you know, we are talking about how they need a standard at this point. Uh, there's Correct. no standard that they have for these for these wristwatches or for these Fitbits and everything that they have. So, you know, do you think that DOD itself needs a standard for, you know, ongoing capabilities, for tools and things like that? Um, just like those are tools that yeah, we use so every the, day. The standard, you know, standards, you know, there's the NIST, there's, the, there's all sorts of compliance standards that the DOD has, uh, you know, that there's uh, the end users are required to, to maintain. It's more of an interesting discussion because you come to this, this, this clash of civilizations that is what we've traditionally seen is these, uh, the IT world. Um, and you had the, the IT uh, administrators are the ones that were traditionally tasked with ensuring that those computers, endpoints, routers, switchers, servers were all up to date, uh, were adequately protected, um, vulnerabilities identified, and ultimately remediated. The two other worlds in the DoD that, that become very relevant to this are the guys that conduct operations mm-hmm. and the other side of the house are the ones that are just sort of collecting intelligence. As we begin to transition and those three worlds become closer and closer together, um, it's not just about IT guys operating independently, ensuring that the systems are, are available when required to support particular missions. Um, the intelligence community and the, the operational community need to get closer to the what is traditionally seen as the IT community and all begin to work together to ensure that those endpoints that are that are required to conduct mission that are typically provided by the information technology guys there is a critical dependency that exists between those two worlds and those two communities to ensure that the the tools and and equipment provided to the end user are protected so what's the best way that they can talk to each other? You know, I mean, is it just a matter of doing missions together more often, of, of 
opening up lines of communication or is there something more you know ingrained yeah, that they that, can do that, that's a really good one and and um so it was a guy who cut his teeth at, at cybercom back when it when it was created yeah um that was a very interesting time back in in 2008 and, and tw- 2010 is when u.s cybercom actually stood up um but we were positioned with uh you know the intelligence community we were the war fighters and there definitely was a uh a chasm that existed between the two communities because um, they traditionally were seen as very separate entities. Mm. And as the warfighter began to introduce himself to the intelligence community, there was some pushback at times. Now, advance eight years later, it's 2018. We've got the, the National Mission Force that stood up and, you know, 133 mission teams that are tasked with doing everything from protecting the Doden to supporting combatant commanders. Um, the, the way that those, those, those organizations communicate with each other has improved over time. Uh, but it's still not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and there is still a uh, differences of opinions, I'll, I'll argue, between the intelligence community, the operations community, and the IT community. And it's still going to take a little time to get them all working together. But the creation of the National Mission Force, I believe, is the catalyst that has sort of forced this conversation to the forefront. And one of the things about Cybercom is that the leader of Cybercom is also the leader of the NSA, right? Correct. And they've talked about kind of splitting that dual-hatted spot that they're they're in. You know, so Mike Rogers, he's the current Admiral Mike Rogers, the current leader of Cybercom and NSA, soon to be General Paul Nakasone. Do you think that splitting that that dual-hatted role would hurt the the communication between the IC community I, and the defense community? I don't think so. Again, this has been a debate that's been going on for the better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, when you looked at the creation of U.S. Cybercom back in, again, 2010, uh, there was an interesting saying that was uh, when General Alexander was the commander uh, who was you know, the director of the National Security Agency and he was given his fourth star, um, there were some that said at the time that, uh, that, that General Alexander was the uh, director of the National Security Agency who also happened to be the commander of Cybercom. Uh, <laughs> when Admiral Rogers showed up, that paradigm began to shift. You know, at the end of the day, they got their fourth star because of the combatant command, not because of the National Security Agency. So Admiral Rogers was the, the commander of U.S. Cybercom, who also happened to be the director of National Security Agency. So, so that organization began to get on a war footing. Now, if at some point in the future it's appropriate to, again, separate those two things again and where the commander can focus on, you know, supporting and building a mission force and the director of the National Security Agency can really focus on collecting intelligence and providing information to the warfighter as a combat support organization, combat support activity. Um, that is probably the right way to go. We may not completely be there yet. It may need a, a few more iterations before it's ready to completely be separated. But General Nakasone is another guy who cut his teeth uh, standing up the National Mission Forces. There's no better guy to take the, yeah. to take the reins from, uh, from Admiral Rogers. He's really been there since the beginning, like from you said. From the very yeah. beginning. Um, I wanted to ask, how what's private industry's role in this in keeping the uh, the, the lines of communications fluid. Yeah, that, that, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, if you looked at the way that we were, that the, the, the military was acquiring capability to do cyber mission, let's say 10 years ago, um, because of the things that we were doing relatively, call it low density, high demand kind of operations, we had the ability to create capability organically. You know, guys that lived in back rooms that could do things with code or, de- or develop tools as required to support relatively specific kind of missions. Um, that worked 10 years ago. Uh, the fact that we now have a national mission force, 6,100 operators, 133 mission teams separated, you know, across Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, industry is going to have to step up to the plate. As you know, the Air Force doesn't build airplanes. They, they, they contract them out um, 
Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, they're, they're the experts in building those kind of capabilities. Companies like Tenable are really the experts in building what it is that we do. Um, and I believe as the DOD continues to scale, uh, that it's that they're going to have to reach out to industry more and more because this is our business. Our business is to create technology, keep it up to date, uh, ensure that it's always uh, um, ready, and then provide that capability at scale to the end user. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk some more about those cyber mission forces. You're listening to the Cyber Challenges in Defense, an evolving mission, sponsored by Tenable. I'm here with Chris Cleary, the Director of Business Development and Federal Strategy, and I'm your host, Scott Massioni, with Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. In today's digital world, cyber risk is government risk. And while digital transformation catalyzes growth, new assets in cloud, IoT, DevOps, and mobile apps create enormous complexity. They require us to rethink how we assess risk. Thankfully, the next era of cybersecurity has arrived. We call it cyber exposure, and it transforms security from a static, fragmented view to live, holistic visibility across every asset. For more information, visit Tenable.com, T-E-N-A-B-L-E.com. And welcome back to the discussion, Cyber Challenges in Defense and Evolving Mission, sponsored by Tenable Public Sector on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Chris Cleary, the Director of Business Development and Federal Cybersecurity Strategy for Tenable Public Sector. And I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. We were talking before about the cyber mission teams that DOD has set up. Can, first of all, can you give us a little bit of a reminder as to what the cyber mission teams do, what their, their whole purpose is for DOD? Yeah. So, so back in 2010, when U.S. Cybercom was established, it realized that it was going to need a force to do all the missions that it was directed you know, to do. So the idea was setting up this, what they called the National Mission Force, uh, which is, you know, 133 mission teams that all are sort of have different flavors, everything from defending um, the Department of Defense networks to uh, sending teams specifically to go support combatant commanders, you know, UCOM, NORTHCOM, CENTCOM, to the kind of missions that they would be doing forward. The trick was, as the, as the services were tasked with sort of man training and equipping, at the end of the day, that's what the services do. Uh, you know, come up with the manning, figure out how to train those guys, and then give them the capability they need to take forward to, to do their mission. Um, the things that, so the manning came around, we've got the 6,100 members of the national mission team and the, th- and, you know, the 133 teams. Um, the training is coming online, and for the most part, that's got pretty standardized. But the tool set that they're using is still something that I, I don't know if they've completely figured out how to, uh, you know, equip uh, the end user, um, you know, as an example, you know, for the military, we use a, a rifle as an analogy, right? Um, there's not a soldier, sailor, airman, Marine officer or enlisted that has not touched what we all kind of identify as the M16 rifle. Um, everybody who wears a uniform is fundamentally familiar with how that thing works. Now, some guys just use it once a year to show proficiency. Other guys go to professionalize on it and spend an entire career mastering it. Think, Special Forces groups, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, Delta Force. Um, the cyber mission force is kind of trying to figure out their same way of doing business. And I, and I believe that those sort of fundamental capabilities that these guys are going to you know, be introduced to, and everybody from an officer and enlisted that has some familiarization with certain kinds of capabilities, but other guys are going to professionalize on that you know, over a career. Again, bringing it back to sort of the ACAST program, and one of the things that Tenable does is as we provide that fundamental cornerstone of capability 
um, we have seen those things begin to proliferate into other organizations. Um, they definitely support the defensive mission from a compliance standpoint and things, but we have begun to see certain components of capability find their ways into cyber protection teams or cyber mission teams. Um, and it's the, it's the, the continuing of that uh, that will allow guys, again, to professionalize over a career, over tools that are not going to disappear tomorrow. And yeah, yeah, I mean, what kind of tools do they? Because, you know, we always think of military as holding the rifle, things like that. And cyber warfare is so kind of abstract. It's hard to to think about what it actually is. You know, you kind of think of uh, the 1980s movie with the, the Russians and, and the U.S., right? Um, so, you know, what are, what are we looking at when we see a cyber warrior go and uh, actually do a, a fight or a mission? When we look at the kinds of fundamental capabilities that, that you would need. Um, you know, the military sort of breaks down the way that it does business into four basic kind of functions. There's an offensive component. There's a defensive component. There's a thing they called uh, ISR or intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance. And then there's another thing they call cyber OPE or operational preparation of the environment. Companies like Tenable, you know, we don't particularly play in the offensive or defensive world. That's not, that's not our space. But we do fit very nicely into things that are, you know, the intelligence surveillance reconnaissance or the operational preparation of the environment. You know, how does how does the warfighter given be given a capability that allows them to understand the environment that they have to go operate in? You know, we have uh, you know uh, our Nessus scanner as an example. It's been around since two thousand and eight, I believe. That is a the fundamental and probably probably most widely deployed scanner on the planet, and something that anybody who's in this space, whether they're civilian, um, a student, just learning how to do network security, is, has been fundamentally familiar with. Right. Um, and as those guys transition from, let's say, civilian environments into the military or vice versa, there is something to be said for seeing that capability already deployed there. So there is a, a cost reduction in training because the tool's there. And it's something they've probably seen in a lot of other ways. And it's just may, they might learn to use it a little bit differently based on the mission. Now, when, when Tenable's developing a, a system or a weapon or, you know, whatever, um, are you trying to stay ahead of the Defense Department and trying to figure out what they may need, or are you waiting for the requirement or, or doing a little bit of both? So it's a, that's a double-edged, that's a double-edged sure. sword. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll stay away from the word weapon. Right, right, um, right. Because that's, a, that's not our space. Um, but there are components to weapon systems, you know, radars that go on airplanes are components of weapon systems, but they're not weapons themselves. So I guess the, 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 the idea of any good industry is to either, you know, anticipate where the government's going and try to get there, mm -hmm. or encourage the government to go to certain areas. So from a business development standpoint, you know, we obviously are trying to get the government to go to certain areas. So, for instance, our, you know, cyber exposure for our, you know, our new platform that basically we believe we're the first to come out with a with a tool that can really help you understand your exposure to the environment and not to get all sales pitchy. We are trying to anticipate where the industry needs to go, especially with the explosion of operational technology, industrial control systems. You know, we believe that we're positioning ourselves to be a, a better uh uh, provider of that capability. But conversely, a lot of times the government's going to have things they specifically want. So those requirements come to us. And then, you know, like any good business, we make business decisions, whether those are requirements that we want to sort of build into our capability, to which point we can then deliver back to the government. Right. And and what about commercial tools that are already out there for cybersecurity? How are you giving those to Yeah, the, that, you again, know? one of my favorite topics. Um, you know, I used to say that, uh, uh, creating cyber capability is not like you're fine, you're, uh, refining uranium, right? Um, anybody with a computer and some code, you know, skills can write code and, and create capability. Now, there's something to be said for the government that has money, they have access, 
Um, they have particular training. They can they can scale. Um, but the fundamental things that are being done are just being done on a keyboard. So commercial industry is is very well positioned to support that capability. And in, in most instances, what you found is that a, a lot of commercial capability is being repurposed, uh, just bought off the shelf, you know, COTS equipment and being rolled into capability um, that it sometimes gets positioned as a weapon system within some of these services. Uh, Tenable has found ourselves in some of those capabilities. Now, Congress recently made it easier for private industry, industry to share some of their virus detectability and things like that, things that they'll see, their schematics uh, with DOD and with just the government writ large. Um, how is that helping you develop tools and, and hear maybe what DOD wants from uh, from the, the cybersecurity it's looking for? One of the fundamental problems that I think the government and DOD or industry, nobody's really solved is the complete visibility into your infrastructure. Yeah. You know, that this, and again, I'll go back to the things, the explosion of additional devices that you're finding in your infrastructure is only make, is only exacerbating the problem. It becomes harder and harder. So it's this continuous, um, never ending game of trying to understand what's on your network and then, you know, what vulnerabilities uh, or risks being introduced with those devices on your network based on the way an adversary might want to go after them. Tenable has been positioning themselves for the better part of a decade to understand that environment and do it pretty well. And because it's our our business, it's our bread and butter. And not only do we do business with the federal government, but you know we have a, a a very large commercial base that we support. You know, it's in our best interest to always make sure that our capability is leading edge, not just for what we provide to the government, but what we provide to the commercial space. And in some instances, the commercial space drives the technology development. It's not always the DOD or the federal government that drives it. I think what you find in this space in particular is the commercial industry has really driven um, a lot of the things that the DOD has gone to acquire and roll into their operations, whether it be information technology or, you know, what we consider traditional military operations, um, because we're just we're good at it. The commercial industry is good at providing capability. Um, that's our bread and butter. Yeah, I think the when it comes to cyber, the DOD has been used since the, the 60s and 70s and even 80s of being the for, at the forefront, right, of technology and things like that. It seems like now in, in the 21st century, it's now Apple and Google and, you know, that's Very much so. Things, I mean, right? if you look at the things that, uh, you know, radar, sonar, Velcro, um, those are all the things that were sort of developed by the federal government to support mission that then found commercial applications. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just the opposite now, you know, because of the Googles and the Apples and the Microsofts and the Tenables, um, you know, we are continuing to create capability, uh, advancing, the, you know, the art of the possible and technology that is now outpacing some of the things that are being done in the federal government. And they're 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 finding the need to have to come to us uh, to help them advance their own missions. Now, I, I wanted to move back to the cyber mission forces we were mm -hmm. talking about before. And, you know, do you think that there because this goes along with what we're saying, the there needs to be a standardization throughout these teams and also there's some of them are our national guard some of them are air force some of them are navy they don't always talk well together um so you know can private industry be that connective tissue at times and and you know where can they they build yeah so together? that like again i'm a huge advocate of this and, and there are some things that i think are going to be fundamental to the way all cyber units do their mission um but you know army navy air force marines everybody likes to do things a little bit differently some guys are going to have what we you know different kit right some guys going to like one tool over another and the army may choose to standardize on a, a particular capability and the navy may choose to standardize on another but fundamentally those capabilities will, pro will, will provide the same function um the trick is 
how do you continue to, to encourage the standardization and acknowledge that there are some tools that will, that will survive decades. Um, And and traditionally, you know, when you look at the IT space, uh, we have been guilty for, uh, in in some instances, continuing to throw capability over the fence. It's the shiny new thing. So everybody wants the new thing. And by the time that they've just almost got to understand the old thing, there's something new that we're presented with. So they've got to learn the whole process all over again. There are some capabilities out there. I'll I'll leverage the Nessus scanner as an example. You know, the Nessus scanner has been around for 10 years. It's going to be around for another 10 years. There are certain things that that the government can say, hey, you know what? I can begin to fundamentally standardize on that because it's going to be around. It's not going to it's not going to go away. It's not going to it's not something I'm going to have to worry about replacing tomorrow. Great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It was oh, thank a you. pleasure talking to you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to Cyber Challenges in Defense and the Evolving Mission. I'd uh, once again like to thank our guest, Chris Cleary, Director of Business Development and Federal Cyber Strategy at Tenable Public Sector. And thank uh, Tenable for sponsoring this program. I'm Scott Massioni on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Detail on Defense. Watch the entire discussion, Cyber Challenges in Defense and Evolving Mission, sponsored by Tenable Public Sector at federalnewsradio.com. In today's digital world, cyber risk is government risk. And while digital transformation catalyzes growth, New assets in cloud, IoT, DevOps, and mobile apps create enormous complexity. They require us to rethink how we assess risk. Thankfully, the next era of cybersecurity has arrived. We call it cyber exposure, and it transforms security from a static, fragmented view to live, holistic visibility across every asset. For more information, visit Tenable.com, T-E-N-A-B-L-E.com. Are you a retiree or someone looking for a meaningful way to spend your spare time? Consider becoming a volunteer at InMed's Family and Youth Opportunity Center in Sterling, Virginia. InMed needs volunteers for homework help, tutoring, and mentoring for disadvantaged children in its after-school academic enrichment program. Your minimal investment of time could change a life, perhaps even your own. Visit OpportunityCenter.us to learn more. That's OpportunityCenter.us, a public service message by InMed Partnerships for Children. For many cancer patients, getting to and from treatment is one of their toughest challenges. Having cancer is hard. Getting to treatment shouldn't be. The American Cancer Society needs volunteer drivers throughout the Washington region to provide transportation for cancer patients in your community. Through the simple gift of a lift in their cars, American Cancer Society volunteer drivers help carry patients one step further on the road to recovery. To volunteer, call 1-800-227-2345 or go to cancer.org slash drive. Heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, certain cancers, all obesity-related diseases. Walk toward a healthier you. Join the third annual Sisters for Fitness Run Walk, Saturday, April 28th from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Bowie Town Center in Bowie, Maryland. Bring your family and friends. Help us fight the obesity epidemic one step at a time. To find out more, go to sistersforfitness.com. That's sistersforfitness.com.
They say you can't buy love. That may be true, but love is adoptable at Oldies But Goodies Cocker Rescue. For over 20 years, they've been matching dogs with families to which they bring companionship, loyalty, and yes, love. Based in the D.C. area, Oldies But Goodies' mission is to rescue, rehabilitate, and adopt out Cocker Spaniels and Spaniel mixes of all ages within the Mid-Atlantic area. Learn about OBG adoption policies, view adoptable dogs, and see a schedule of adoption shows and events at CockerSpanielRescue.com. 